So you are in for a really awesome treat because my next guest is one of my all-time favorite people to talk about sales with. Mr. Phil M. Jones is somebody that I met first as an author. Like I was just reading his words and it really just made such a difference to me at a time in my sales career that I was really kind of falling out of love with sales. And around that time, the universe brought me one of Phil's books and it's called Exactly What to Say. And it changed so much for me. And that led me to the next book. And he's got a whole exactly series, exactly what to say, exactly how to sell, exactly where to start. And ultimately, my one of my absolute favorites is called um, How to Persuade and Get Paid. And it is an audible book. And it is what made me fall back in love with sales when I was starting to just become a little bit jaded in, in you know, the corporate world and what I was doing. And Phil's words, listening to him, reading his books just changed my life. And then I got an opportunity to work with him in a very small container. And it was a a day workshop mastermind. And uh, from then on, I connected with him over sales, went, uh, you know, and saw him speak and ultimately asked him to be a speaker in my Facebook group and now on my podcast. So I am so excited for you to hear this because his expertise in sales, his complete talent and ability in helping you see things and and know exactly what to say is just magic. So I am so excited for you to hear this episode and I want you to totally leave me feedback and let me know what you loved about it because I know you're going to learn so much. Hey, welcome to the Healthy Steps with Nicole podcast, where it is my goal to help you see what is possible for your business, for your life, and for the sales that are going to get you there. Get ready to be inspired and supported while you launch and grow your health and wellness business. I'm Nicole Kramer, coach, sales expert, and health and wellness fanatic. Each week, I will be having amazing guest experts that will share with us their knowledge on mindset, money, how to attract your dream clients, successfully close sales, and so much more. Selling doesn't have to be hard. You can have the confidence and the clarity you need to create and grow your dream business. Welcome, everybody, to this super special Monday morning edition of Nicole's Sales Superstars with one of my favorite people in the sales world, Phil Jones. So, Phil, thank you so much for being here with us this morning. Pleasure I am super here. excited Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, yeah. This is like, this is just one of those like full circle moments for me because I feel like one of the reasons that I wanted to learn so much about sales and did learn so much about sales is because of you, your words, your books. And now I'm teaching and coaching sales and I use so much of what I've learned from you in everything that I do. And it's really exciting for me to have you here today. So thank you for being here. Hey, great to be here. Great to be here. I love that you're doing some good work and helping putting more more goodness into the world of sales. I think it has a bad rap too often. I agree because, well, let's just start right there. Maybe the word salesy, what do you, what do you make of that? Because a lot of people use it. It's not even a real word and it's what steers people away from it. I, I, I think it is a real word. I think lots of people have fallen foul to being, being on the wrong end of something that is is quote-unquote salesy. And we've grown up with movies like Wolf of Wall Street and Glengarry Glen Ross. And there's often been a character in a TV show, et cetera, that was in a sales role that was viewed as was certainly less than honest, somebody that was untrustworthy, somebody that was self-centered, doing things for their own set of reasons. So I think the world in many ways is okay to be fair warning with what this stereotype of salesperson would be. Mm-hmm. Yet if we're honest and look at actually where the majority of great sales prof- professionals exist, they're not associated with being salesy because they've been helpful. Mm-hmm. And that's where the bulk of my work sits really is, is in changing the perception of what people think of a salesperson. And I know people are listening in on this right now on Facebook. So, so if you think for a second of, of reaching for some adjectives that would describe a stereotypical salesperson and you were punching some of those in the chat, 
you'd get a very different set of adjectives than if I was to ask you to reach for adjectives to describe a professional salesperson. The adjectives would completely change. So my, my view in it all is that, that it isn't being a salesperson that's a bad thing. It's merely what the perception of it is. And historically, success in sales used to be like, I won. Whereas actually those that have been sustaining success over a period of time have been focused on the fact that they won. Mm-hmm. as a result of my intervention. And, and I think modern world means that there's more space for those that care about the they want approach because there's so much more transparency in the world. You know, a decade, 20 years ago, you could get a great result and be gone tomorrow. And nobody was there to be able to follow up on it. And this is how some people made a lot of money by, by being less than authentic and less than genuine. Today's world, if you don't give people what you said you were going to give them and some, then your reputation sucks and your business is over by Friday. So, so there's, there's more opportunity to be able to sell in an integrity-based way than there's ever been in the past. Yeah, I love that. And what do you think the difference is? I mean, is it the internet, social media, how fast word travels? I, I just think there's a lot more transparency for buyers of anything nowadays is that they get the chance to be able to be far better informed ahead of time. Reputations and reviews have a level of certainly perceived, perceived truth attached to those reviews uh, more so than there ever have been before. There's a chance to be able to check somebody out. There's there's roots back to source, right? Is with social media is that you know you can get directly back into somebody's inbox. You can leave comments in a transparent fashion if somebody has been you know, less than of their word. That that you can you can really be a nuisance. Yeah. Whereas historically, somebody could cut their phone lines, disappear, turn up somewhere new, somewhere different, and and it was a new game. So like all of that stuff has changed. For, for the better, really. Yeah. Yeah. I was listening to somebody not too long ago and they were talking about how well, one person said, you know, it's so hard to sell these days. And they said, well, think back to a long time ago, like hundreds of years ago, if you had a good idea, you had to get on a horse and go to the next town over to see if somebody wanted to buy your good idea. Like it was a lot tougher back then. It still is hard though, in the many people are looking to sell something that there isn't necessarily a proven market for, mm-hmm. or they're looking for somebody to buy something that somebody isn't currently looking for. So you have to interrupt the day for long enough to establish a need that they didn't realize that they had to present them with a solution that they weren't looking at from elsewhere. So those things exist. And it's crowded with the opportunity to say that the whole world got smaller. It means that everybody can do business with the whole world. Mm-hmm. Historically, it's like who locally can help me with blank. Right. And today that, that local sphere isn't necessarily where people lean to. So they look for trust. Right. And, and trust is now the local provider. And that is friend of friend. It's somebody that comes with a proven track record. It's, it's all the things that used to be very inherent with how people would do business. It, mm-hmm. It's just the landscape is different. Right. Yeah. Trust is a big piece of it for sure. Yeah. So what, I mean, you have been doing this for a really long time. You started mm-hmm. when you were 14. Mm-hmm. Okay. So tell me about that. Well, when I was 14 years of age is I just started knocking on the doors of my neighbors and asking them quite politely whether they wanted to have their cars washed. And some said yes, some said no. Most just asked me how much, which I later learned meant they were remarkably interested, providing my prices were fair. And I did okay with that little business, so much so that by the age of 15, I wasn't going to school anywhere near as often as I should. Were you um, just completely so you could work? Um, is... The work took priority over my studies. I still, you know, gave commitment towards my studies and getting some decent grades, etc. But I had responsibilities in other areas of customers and staff and things needed to get done. So I learned to manage my schedule accordingly and be where I needed to be. And by the age of 15, yeah, making more money than most of my school teachers with this little car cleaning business. So, so it was a great, great education in the early days. So did it come naturally for you? Was it just something you intuitively knew how to have start conversations and, and offer what you were, what you were selling? Well, I've never viewed it as I was selling anything. What I've always looked at being is helpful. And if I have a service or product that is of help to somebody, I'm okay to be able to offer that help to people that I think might benefit. Mm-hmm. Now, let's be real with the car cleaning business, no cars on the driveway. I wasn't knocking on those doors. Right. Right. Is somebody who clearly didn't care about whether their car was well-maintained or not. I wasn't knocking on those doors. Right. But looking to help the people who were giving indication and, 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 and feelings and the fact that they might have a need for my service, for sure. Happy to be able to do that. And through every career reinvention from that point, 
is I'm happy to go fishing where the fish are. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm never selling a product or a service. I'm helping people with helping specific groups of people overcome very specific problems. Yeah. I, I have to say too, real quick, that's what I love about what I've learned from you. Because when I got to a point where I was really successful in sales, but I kind of lost my connection to what it was all about. Um, that's when I picked up your books and started reading and listening to the one that's on Audible. And it reminded me what I enjoyed about sales to begin with, which was building relationships with people and helping them. Mm-hmm. And that's like it, to me, it takes all the salesiness and all the awkwardness out of, you're not trying to convince anybody or manipulate anybody into doing something that they don't want to do. And one of the things that I love that you say is really, you're just a professional mind maker ever. Correct. And indecision is the enemy of yes. Not, not no. People are scared of getting no's. Mm-hmm. And what we really should be focused on is our job is to help people make decisions. Mm-hmm. If they decide that you're not a fit, your product or service is not right for them. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But if they're stuck in, maybe you didn't do your job. If they said, no, you did your job. Yeah. That's another thing I learned from you that I think is really powerful. A close is really just getting them to a decision, whether it's a yes or a no, you're going to get stuck in the maybe it's like limbo. You're going to be stuck there for a really long time and you don't want to be there. That's going to suck up your time and energy. Correct. And, and even the, the terminology around the word closing is something I believe needs to change mm-hmm. because closing suggests it's over. It suggests it's a period at the end of a sentence when really what it is, it's a capital letter at the start of a new sentence, yeah. right? That's, that's really what that agreement of decision is because all you've now gained is, is permission to complete the promise. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where the work really starts for, for a lot of us. And the difference is in olden times when someone like, you know, a salesperson would sell something, their job was done. Mm-hmm. Close done into system, sayonara. I don't have to worry about cleaning the mess up that sits behind this. For almost everybody that is selling in today's world, they have some accountability to what happens next. Mm-hmm. So it's, it isn't closing really. It's gaining commitment. It, it's, right. it's gaining agreement to next action. I think you used an example in how to persuade and get paid. By the way, my, my group already knows about all of your books. I have, (laughs) I put them here just so I can talk about (laughs) exactly what to say, exactly how to sell, exactly where to start. And one of my also favorites is how to persuade and get paid. That's on audible. And I think you used an example of like, once you, like if you're a wedding dress designer, you sell, can you tell me about that? Cause I love this example. I think the example that I shared was all about where the, where the finish line is in the transaction, right? Is Correct. Yep. I, I ask a room of people is who in this room has worn a wedding dress. And, and it's quite interesting to, to see the hands that rise up. But the, the example is this, is if you own a wedding dress shop, I ask people to think about when the most important day is in terms of the success of your organization. And lots of people talk about, well, it's when she says yes to the dress, right? Cha-ching, swipe credit card, happy day. And then other people are like, no, 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 it's when she's happy with the dress or it's the day of her wedding. And I push it one stage further than that. And from asking thousands of people that have worn wedding dresses to check my assumption is true on this, I've gained enough consensus of opinion that I believe I'm right, is that the most important day is actually when she sees herself in the dress. Yeah. As in, in the photographs after the fact, that moment that's crystallized or, or you know, or, right. you know, captured as a moment in time that exists for eternity. That's when people are looking at it and going, did I make the right choice? Sure, all of those other moments are really, really important. But if the pictures suck and you're left with the aftertaste of I made a stupid decision, I picked the wrong dress, then that's a different set of circumstances. And if you're a wedding dress store that know that this is all about making a beautiful experience right up until the point where she looks killer in the photos, then you change your communication track accordingly. You move the finish line of, of where you're calling things success. And I see far too many people in the coaching business in particular that celebrate the day that somebody says yes to their coaching package. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Shouldn't we be thinking about the results that somebody was looking to achieve? And, and, and this is where I've seen so many people like show up, you know, claim their six-figure, seven-figure success story and then be nowhere to see three to five years down the tracks because what they're not doing is they're not celebrating the success of the promise they made mm-hmm. towards the person. And I getting clarity over what your promise is and then 
understanding that the, the, the decision is just, it's just a green light. Right. It's a green light that we're going to go at this thing together, whatever right. that might be. The fulfillment is after that. Like you actually, right. like the day uh, she wears the wedding dress and gets the pictures, that's the true fulfillment of the right. promise that, that the deal created. Right. And, 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 you know, if you were selling a barbecue grill, I wouldn't concern about them walking out the door with a thing boxed up. I'd want to know about the first time they used it, what you cooked on it, and what people said about the meal that you created, right? Like that's, that's the point we should be focused on. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the most important. Well, because it goes back to what we said earlier. It's the customer service part. And it's the experience. It's the promise. It's why did somebody want this thing? Mm-hmm. And nobody wants what anybody's selling. Ooh. Nothing, right? Like I'm, I'm looking at things around in my room here right now. I'm looking at an Apple Mac. I don't want a Mac. I don't want an iPad. I don't want a microphone. I don't want lights. I don't want shelvings. I don't want a filing cabinet. I want what all these things can do for me. And I want the result of the result of the result. Yes. Like I don't want a filing cabinet. I don't want somewhere to store my things. I don't want a safe place for my papers. I actually want to live in a neat and tidy life. Right. And I think that's what more people need to get clarity towards to say, how does what you have help them yes. with who they want to be and what they want it for? It's like the need behind the need. Right. I heard somebody say once, nobody buys a drill just to buy a drill. You don't want a drill. Yeah. Classic Brian Tracy story. And, 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 and the same, you know, nobody wants to take a flight. Right. Where you're not. So how do people get it? Cause I, I think a lot of people get stuck in that, especially you know, new people to selling, they want to sell all the features. They want to sell all the things that they're selling instead of yeah. the results of what they're selling. Tell us about that. Well, it's the natural thing, right? Is if we back right up, the, the biggest issue that exists is that if you're not convinced, you can't convince. There's the issue. So what happens is when somebody isn't convinced with what they have to offer, it's going to deliver to the promise and some. What they choose to be able to do is to try and over-embellish the thing by layering on features and benefits, hoping that that protects their lack of confidence or insecurities in what the offer is. So we're going to give you this, I'm 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 going to give you this. And I, like I see it, particularly in the coaching world. It's like, we're going, to give you, we're going to give you these bonus webinars and these more materials to read and this and this and this and this. And I'm like, hang on, people have like only so much time to do so many things. Right. right. So there's no saying they want that stuff. What people want is a solution to a problem and they don't care how quickly or how long it takes to get there. Now, dozens of my most lucrative return on investment clients that I have over an annual period of time I spend moments with, but what they want is specific moments towards specific problems that have really high payoff returns. Are they prepared to pay me significant retainers so that when they call that I get my attention? Yeah, they are because we go to work on problems that are worth solving. And, you know, if I had said to somebody, you know, we might spend an hour and 20 minutes on the phone over a year and they pay me close to six figures for it. That sounds like a stupid sum of money for a short period of time, but it just depends on what we do in those moments. Right. So moving away from the features and benefits piece is talking about what the result is worth. Mm-hmm. You want a simple formula is your pricing should be in or around 10% of the uh, value of the problem that you solve. Mm-hmm. So the use value. Whatever problem that you are promising to be able to solve, you shouldn't charge more than 10% of that problem to get people to confidently be able to impart trust in trialing, whether you can help with that. Because more often than not, you're not the only solution. You're a part of the solution. So they might need to be able to invest in other things as well as you to be able to get them what it is that they're looking for. And, and past that point is you have to leave some room for error, right? Nothing's perfect. Mm -hmm. We need a problem worth solving. We also need to understand we probably won't solve it. We're just going to make a big dent in it. Right. It's a really good point. Like we're not necessarily going to get to the finish line you might have in mind, but we're going to, we're going to take a big chunk out of it. Right. We're going to make progress. And then we're going to deliver that over a period of time. So, so features and benefits are irrelevant. Features and benefits are the how you're going to get there. What you really want to do is to talk about the result. Mm-hmm. Simple game to be able to play is, and I do this even with people with copy on their websites, is they'll list a feature or benefit of their product or service. And the question I ask is, so what? And then they give me the answer and I ask, so what again? And then they give me the answer and I say, so what again? And we might do this seven, eight, nine, ten 10 times and we get to the real reason why that's important. I'm like, well, why aren't we saying that then? Like that's what they should start with. That's, that's the point. Yeah. 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 
that's the whole the whole purpose. There was a I, I think it's in how to persuade and get paid where you say because I've seen this happen so many times. Even in the corporate world, I coached people that I felt like they would over explain and talk themselves out of a deal because they were trying so hard to push all the features and all the things. Yeah. And I think the exact thing that you bring up is how does it work? <laughs> and instead of going there, I think it was the engineer example yeah. that you can use it, where engineers want to over explain. It's like, how does it work? Well, what would your answer to that be? Well, it works great. <laughs> End of story, right? Because anything oh, after that is just you trying to over explain or push your, your worth or, you know. Well, our, our job is to give people enough information to make a decision. That's what our job is. And enough means different things to different people. Mm-hmm. However, too much information is likely to cause more damage in a sales conversation than not enough because too much information creates confusion and creates an overwhelm, creates somebody feeling unqualified to be able to make that decision. Therefore, they're going to procrastinate and remain in indecision. You give a simplified answer to a complex questions. One is it shows confidence. Two is if they need more information, they'll ask for it. You think about it though, even from a, you're in the business of, of sharing nutraceuticals with people, you're right? Like, like some form of weight loss program, some form of health and nutrition improvement, et cetera. And somebody asks, how does it work? You're better to be able to say it works great than, well, let me explain to you exactly how it, it alters the chemistry of your body. Over, like, what the fuck? Right. Right? It, 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 it is where that gets confusing. So you're better to say, you know, it works great or tell a story, right? Because a story will always sell or a fact will only tell. So they say, how does it work? You say, well, I've shared it with 15 of my nearest and dearest. And these are the kind of results I've been achieving. Right. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, it, it's, it's really people over explain and talk themselves out of a deal when they try to do that more or less. And we, we have a responsibility to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what we're looking to better do is is to provide well packaged, good value truth, not all of the truth. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? It means enough information to be able to progress the conversation towards a predetermined outcome that is beneficial to both parties. Mm-hmm. So how I'd do like you think, know think of it this way? Right, is if somebody like say you're in you're in a relationship. And one of you goes out with a group of your friends mm-hmm. and then comes back and the other person in the relationship says, how was your night? What'd you get up to? There's only so much of an answer that is necessary there, right? You want the truth, but you don't want blow by blow detail and not suggesting anybody's got up to anything that's untoward, but, but you don't need that much. Like, how was your night? It was great. Oh, what'd you get up to? Oh, we went for drinks here and then we ate at this place here. And then what we did is we hung out here. Oh, cool. Great. Anything like to report back more than that? Yeah. I mean, the tacos were outstanding at that place. We need to go. Fantastic. Let's go sometime. Done. Do you think this is also a difference between men and women? Because I feel like men are much better at that. Just giving short, concise answers and women are going to give all the details. Um. I'm always cautious about stereotyping on genders or in, in any way, because th- there are exceptions on, on every side of the coin. Fair enough. Yeah. If I'm to look into my experience though, is I I've seen more females fall into the over communicate category. Right. The men. Right. And then I've seen lots of guys fall into the short form communication that is too short. Like let's take that same example is like, like how was your night? Yeah, it was good. Well, what'd you get up to? Oh, we just went to a few places. Like it cr- creates suspicion in it, even though that there isn't any, right? right. Um, right. So using that same analogy, you can see how being too sure or too verbose right. can right. create an issue. You've got to keep it in, in, in time of the music. So. so it goes back to what you said, enough. They just need enough information to... But you can always give more. Mm-hmm. So someone says, how was your night? You said, my night was great. They say, well, what did you get up to? What they're saying is, tell me some more about that. Right. And you've got to, so many sales discussions like relationship discussions, they're a dance. Yeah. And I really think that if more people viewed a sales discussion as a dance, not only would they get better results, they'd have more fun. Your job is just to lead the dance. Yeah. That, that's the part to be in. And I think that metaphor is a, is a fun way of even entering into calls like a discovery call is a chance to be able to go lead a dance with a predetermined partner with somebody who said i want to join you on the dance floor it changes this i need to close this opportunity thing yes 
Yes. I like looking at that. Like, like it's a dance, like it's something that you're just leading the other person through. And, and one of the things that, I mean, there's so many things I've learned from you, by the way, last week was Phil Jones week in my, in my group. So every <laughs> day that I went live, I was telling some things that I learned from you and Mondays, we always talk money. So I talked about some of the money stuff I've learned Tuesday was uh, sales tips. And one of them was basically answering questions with questions. So like the person in control of the conversation is the person asking the questions. And I loved when I learned that from you, it just opened so many things up because I learned how to answer a question with a question. So what does that mean to you when you say the person in control of the conversation is the person asking the questions? What if you ask a question and they like run off with their answer? Give me an example and some context. Well, a lot of my, so, you know, this is a group of health and wellness coaches and they might say, you know, like on a discovery call, they might ask them a, a question about their health. And then all of a sudden this person has like just gone off the rails with every single thing that's ever gone on with them, with their health. How do you pull that back? So you've shared with me like five, six, seven things that have negatively impacted your health over the last significant period of time. Which two or three of those would you say are the most important? So forcing them to get more focused on what's the most important for you. And I'd say which two or three, giving them permission. Mm-hmm. And then I'd take any one of those. So let me just take one of those and, and answer me this. How long has that been going on for? Is that a new thing or is that something that's been happening over a period of time? Mm-hmm. So right away you take back control with that. Oh, well, I've been dealing with this for the last 10 years. Wow. Okay. And what kind of differences, challenges, and obstacles does that bring to any form of typical day? Is like, what are the consequences of you not solving this? Mm-hmm. So then they tell me this. And then I might say, so on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being like essential and one being meh, like how important is it that you make progress in this area? Mm-hmm. And if they tell me it's an eight or an 8.6 or a 9.2, I say, well, that's great. I, like, I only look to work with people who've already decided that they're at somewhere like an eight out of this. If you were less than that, it wouldn't be the right time. There wouldn't be a fit. Right. So then- and that one thing there, would you say that's the most important thing for you to make progress on? Or would you say one of the other two is more important? See what I'm doing is I'm just waterproofing back in. You're isolating. So would it make sense for us to start work there? Yeah. Yeah, it would make sense for us to start work there. How soon did you want to get started? But it's all questions. I also want to, you to know what I did at the start of this, right? You asked me a question. And what did I respond with? A question. Can you give me an example of where something like this shows up, right? Which allowed you to be able to elaborate, right? Right. So you can always lean back in when somebody's saying, boom, boom, boom. Can you share with me a recent example of where this has caused you? Because what you're looking for is before you start inserting your content, you need enough context, so if you can't see the world through the other person's eyes, you shouldn't be given advice. And this is a mistake that, again, lots of people jump to. They start to, I can fix that. And I don't believe you. Yes. Because you haven't seen the world through my eyes enough yet. Yes. So you I, have going to get another level of certainty. I learned that from um, a book you recommended to me, The Coaching Habit. Yep. So good. I have notes all through it. And it, it's actually... I learned it from you because you say you're basically making recommendations yep. and you're hearing what's going on for somebody else. And based on what they've said, and I love because I learned this from you as well, you're using their words back to communicate to them. So you're not saying anything that they haven't said and you're making a recommendation. So based on X, Y, and Z, I recommend A, B, and C. So you're listening when you're asking all these questions to what they're saying. And then your recommendation is basically just customized to what exactly they said. Correct. And that's the work that very few people will, will do because they think it's about the product or the solution. People aren't caring about your product or solution. They care about the outcome that is tailor-made and laser-focused for their circumstances. Mm-hmm. So you have to do the work to understand their context before you insert your content. I like that. So, so by the end of this, you're looking for, and this is a line that you use as well, um, you're looking for them to be able to make a decision. So your recommendations are leading them to making up their mind, helping them make a decision. Correct. But you use that at the very beginning of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And what's that line that you use? Well, share with me the one you're thinking, because there's lots that I use. <laughs> you're like, I have a lot of them. Um, it is something along the lines of like by the end, and you can obviously paraphrase, but by the end of this conversation, I'm looking for you to be able to make a decision. Well, the example that you're looking at there is a five-part process to how to build any sales pitch. And that's the agenda part of a sales pitch. 
so say for example the what i'd done is i'd i let's 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 use the context of a of a 60 minute discovery call Mm -hmm. let's say that you've opened the call up you've listened to their circumstances you've had a huge amount of discussion etc you're minute 51 right let's assume that we're at 51 and we we feel like we've got enough evidence in order to be able to come up with some recommendations Mm -hmm. What I might then do is I might craft a sales presentation that has three core components to it. One is a beginning, the second is a middle, the third is an end. Now that sounds simple, but too many people forget the beginning and the end. What would be in each one of those steps? Well, the beginning would be some form of reminder of the reason that we were having this call. The second point would be an agenda. In the middle of the presentation, we're going to share some history and credibility about who we are and what we're about. We're going to share a, a bullet around the range of products and services that we can help somebody with. And then we're going to talk about our specific solution for them. And then in the end, what we're going to do is we're going to tell them what we told them in some form of summary. And then we're going to invite them to take next action in the close. Mm-hmm. So how would that lay out in this given scenario? It would be opening with, well, the reason we're here today is. Mm-hmm. So the reason we're here today is to help find a custom solution towards me healthcare issues, right? That's the purpose. So at this point of the conversation, I'm just going to walk you through a little bit about us, who we are, what makes us different, talk you through the range of services and solutions that people take benefit from us at insert name of company. And then I'm going to walk you through some specific recommendations that could work out for you. Now, before we do disappear on this call, what I will be looking for is some form of a decision about what you want to do next, right? I put that right up out front in my agenda. Then it allows me to say a little bit about, so who are we? What makes us different? Well, let me talk to you a bit about us and how long we've been doing this, the kind of results we get for other people, yeah, what other people say about us, boom. The range of products and services is just a from and to. So we help people with a variety of different solutions from one-off independent consultations to sometimes online training courses and then more comprehensive um, one-on-one private work with people who are committed to achieve uh, high rewarding results in the shortest period of time. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give like a range of products and services. And then I'm going to probably say, well, because of the fact that you said, boom, 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 what my recommendation for you today would be that we, we start here. Right. Then I'm going to give my summary, which is, so I share with you a bit about us, who we are, what makes us different, talk to you through the range of services that we have for you. And we've made the conclusion together that the best path forward for you is boom. And then my close is going to be, so the next steps are, or the next steps is. Mm-hmm. And, and it just becomes a very natural, progressive conversation that is, is, is done with, with integrity. And people think on these calls that they're there to sell them something. The other person knows what they're there for. Like you agree to go on a date with somebody. You knew, you knew the intent, incentives on both parts, right? You knew what this was an exploration towards. Right. Yeah. That's, that's what I remind my clients all the time. I'm like, well, nobody's getting on that call with you because they don't want to work with you. Right. We all know why they're getting on the call. It's because you're going to have a conversation about them being interested in in moving forward with solving the problem that they have right or not or maybe deciding they're not prepared to do the work which i think is very very important in a in a coaching capacity and yes. the very reason that this almost pre-sale call needs to happen is you have to explore the fit even shift in your mind and i do this now in the fortunate position that i have capacity to my work like we all do and i and i decide that that capacity means i can be choosy is I'm approaching a pre-event planning call or any form of consultancy request as, is this somebody I want to hang out with? Mm -hmm. Very important. In the current climate that we're in politically, in, uh, you know, there are a number of people that I would categorically choose to not help be more successful. There are a number of industries that I will categorically suggest, no, thank you. Like I, I have zero desire to be able to help make that boat run faster. And I think this is the goal that we should all be having in, in any form of exploratory phone call is this somebody I want to hang out with. Right. And a fun game to play, regardless of where your business is at right now, is what is your capacity? Mm. Meaning you what the capacity to take on? Yeah. How many, how many relationships can you really manage? Mm-hmm. How, many, how many people are you going to get to hang out with? Not everybody can be your best friend because you won't be able to serve them that way around. And I meet so many people who hate their clients. And I'm like, who chose them? Right. And they chose them themselves. And I'm like, wow, wow. Are you like, you're a maniac that you desire to be able to hang out with people you hate. And, and I think it is, is even that viewpoint of saying, I'm looking to qualify them as much as they're looking to qualify me. 
it just provides a slightly different, different mindset going into the call. Yeah. I think it's a totally different energy for the call because it takes away the desperation. It takes away the need. It very much is like, I need to make sure that this is the right fit for me. Just like you're making sure it's the right fit for you. Cause I don't want to be stuck with you for three months if I don't like you. Right. And if you have your business model mapped out right too, is, is you're not looking for marriage and babies in that first call. You're looking to be able to say, you know, are we going to go on a two week vacation together? Are we going to meet again for dinner? Are we going to, you know, we're going to be prepared to, to hang out with an increased level of intimacy to where we are right now, but not for long-term commitment. Uh, And I I find that metaphor useful because yes, there is a vulnerability in in any one of those steps, right? Agreeing to meet somebody else for dinner is a, is a big commitment. Agreeing to be able to say I'm going to spend a weekend with somebody, big commitment. But I think lots of people view that, that sales discussion as, as marriage and babies commitment. Mm -hmm. Like they take it too far when really it's, are we gonna are we gonna move this on further forward? And and somebody could get tremendous value out of working with you for six weeks and then never working with you again. Right. And that's okay if the boundaries and the agreement was right. Right. Yeah. I mean, if they got what they needed in the six weeks, Done. they solved their problem. They're good. Right. Why do they need more? Or made enough progress in that that says they now need to shift into other areas. And and think about that from a human being point of view too. Is is somebody might be so far behind the line, right? Let's just take, take for the fact that through this whole lockdown period is, is I've allowed some of my health and fitness things to, to retract based on my old, my old personal standards. And I'm now at a point where at this moment I'm, I'm high priority is getting fitness back on track and, and taking a number of things seriously to a far more in heightened level of focus. Now I'm 100% certain in 12 weeks I'll have made massive progress on that thing. So that shift of focus is then going to move to a different area of my life. Right. Because we're all just juggling all of these things at some time. And you might find that you're working with somebody and you make huge progress with them in a, in a health and wellness basis. And then like, dang, now I need to go to work on my finances. Or now I need to shift that focus towards my marriage. Or I really need to be able to get out more and explore more. Or, or my grandma needs my help. Or like, like, so sometimes, particularly when you're in the fight for attention, which is what most of our businesses are in, is your competition isn't necessarily somebody doing what you do. Your competition is something completely left to fill that warrants their attention more than you warrant their attention. Right. It's a really good point because ultimately, if they don't need you anymore, they may still need growth in another area. And right. their money, their time, their energy is going to be focused on that because that's their biggest need right now. Yeah. And you have to be prepared. You, do a good job. you have to be prepared to bless and release and put wind at their back. I, I think particularly in the coaching space is I've seen far too many people try to hold on to clients for far too long mm-hmm. and then sour the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true because once they're done, I mean, like, listen, you're here for the duration. If they, if they haven't achieved their transformation and they're still in it and they're still focused on that and they want to keep working with you, that's one thing, but there's no obligation there. And ultimately, like you said, if their focus mm-hmm. has shifted somewhere else, then they're going to move on to that thing and they don't need you anymore. And I had it even with coaching groups. Um, I had a, a Facebook group had 3,500 people in it that were paying monthly to be there. And, and after a period of time, we took people through a significant transformation. They were coming back for the entertainment, not the growth. Mm-hmm. And actually, I was realizing that my coaching group was preventing their progress as opposed to helping enable it. Oh. So I closed the group down. I turned out, I, I literally manually went in, I gave like 15 days notice and then I closed the group down and I manually canceled 3,500 Stripe monthly recurring notifications and just cut the thing off because I was no longer helping. I was fake helping. Right. Because in their mind is if they came hung out with Phil for the lives and those kind of things is they were working. Right. But they weren't. They were showing up to listen and, in, and enjoy, but they weren't taking the action that was required. So sometimes one of the one of the most important things to do in this type of business is to know when to say, go fly, little bird, go fly. Right. Right. Let them go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because it's not serving either of you to keep them around. It's no. not helping them. It's not helping them grow. And you're not getting anything out of it ultimately. No, no, just some ego plays in the in the short term, which is never a good thing to chase. Right. Yeah, very true. So one of the things I want to talk about is uh I love your take on money 
and objections around it. So can we talk about this for a couple of minutes? Because I know that's everybody's big sticking point with, and I think the example you use in how to persuade and get paid is with a shirt. Like, it, again, I'm, I'm using specific examples because these are the ones that stick out for me. But it's like if somebody picks up a shirt and says, how much is this? Yeah. What they're really saying is I quite like this one. I hope I can afford it. Mm-hmm. And we've got to get comfortable talking about money. And back to the point that I made earlier on is that if you're not convinced, you can't convince. So if you don't believe your prices are worth it, don't expect anybody else to. And I'll tell a story is, is I used to uh, own and operate a, an overseas investment property company. We had a fantastic model where you could turn somewhere like 20 grand into 200 grand over a 10 year period of time through appreciation of property asset and then a reduction of liability through rental. And it was a great deal for a four year period of time. And then in 2008, when the market swung, well, the capital growth wasn't there in anywhere near this way it had been. The prices were somewhere near a premium. The lending rates weren't anywhere near that they needed to be. And the currency exchange was shot. So the promise that we were making in January, February of one year, then was no longer the promise we could make in the, you know, in the March, April, May of then what, what precluded. And I didn't believe in it. And I went from physically selling 12 to 15 units a month so generating $3 million in revenue a month to not being able to give these things away. Why? Because I didn't believe in the promise. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's remarkably important with anybody's pricing. So if you are struggling, is do the work behind the work to get confident in the fact that whatever you're asking somebody to pay is worth it. Right. You might find people where it isn't worth it to them. Like I know how much I want to charge somebody to deliver a keynote speech from stage. And a lot of speakers believe, well, you know, my speech is worth that. I'm like, uh-uh, your speech is worth nada unless it's to a specific group of people with a specific outcome in mind. Mm-hmm. Is, is the people are what make things worth it. So you can have a service that's worth whatever you want to label it, but if you're not speaking to the right group of people about it, it isn't worth it to them. Right. So, so get that alignment of, of having confidence that your solution is going to deliver an outcome. And let's... Help me understand this. What might be a typical ailment that somebody is helping somebody overcome in your communities? Um, We'll just use an easy one, weight loss. Okay. So what we have to do is to create a problem worth solving in our questioning here. Instead of trying to overcome the objection. Now, what might somebody be looking to sell their solution for? What might be the price point and what might be a typical package that somebody's solution in this space? Let's say it's an $1,800 package. Okay, delivered over what period of time with what time constraints and boundaries around it? Three months, weekly meetings. Okay. And so we're looking at circa 125, 150 bucks per meeting, one-on-one or delivered as part of a group? One-on-one. Okay. So um, we need to prove that this is worth it. And um, what kind of level of weight loss could be expected over that period of time if somebody follows the program as instructed? Um, let's say 10 pounds. Okay. So you'll lose 10 pounds over that period of time. And we now need to draw some comparisons. So in the conversation around over looking to overcome objections is I need to monetize this weight loss. So let me guess, could it be possible that somebody suffering from weight loss has a huge amount of clothes in their wardrobe that they can't wear anymore because they can't fit in them? So what I'd look at is I'd take a line of questioning that is something towards, so what currently do you have in your wardrobe that you'd like to wear that you can't wear? Mm-hmm. And so what else? It to something that they want. And what else? And what else? And what else? Because what do I want to do is I want to build a wardrobe that is currently enabled to be used that has a replacement value of it in it of in excess of two, three, four thousand dollars you see what I've already done is I've created some form of comparison here that says, well, actually losing the weight means you don't need to replace the wardrobe and replacing the wardrobe would cost you three or $4,000 losing the weight is 1800 and some work and effort. Right. That's one line, but that's the only one line of question I'm going to get. I'm going to get that and I'm going to stick that in my back pocket and say, here I've built some value, right? Non-replacement of wardrobe is one part of the value. The other part might then be, well, you know, what are some of the consequences that this, Excess weight you're carrying right now is, is causing you on a day-to-day basis. And I'm probably going to get things like lack of confidence and that they're going to share some situations about the fact that they just don't feel like themselves. What was a recent example where, where this showed up, like maybe a high stakes environment in some way, and they might say, well, I, you know, I was at work and I, 
had a meeting where I needed to present to my coworkers and I saw myself in the mirror ahead of time and I just didn't like what I see and I, I couldn't get it out of my mind during the whole presentation. All right, really? Okay. And who else was present watching that meeting? And do you have aspirations to be able to do more in your career than the role that you have right now? Go, yeah, sure I do. Okay. So do you think that your lack of confidence in that environment could impact your chance of getting a promotion? Well, I suppose possibly it could do. So if you manage to shed the weight and that you were stepping into the next, you know, next presentation, next chance that you were stepping out in front of your coworkers, what kind of difference would that make in that environment? Well, I'd feel a million times better. I'm sure I'd present at a greater level. Mm-hmm. And what do you think that would do to your chances of then being able to seen in a more positive light by your employer and then go ahead and get your next promotion? Or oh, significantly more so. If you did get another role, what would that be worth to you over an annual period of time? Well, probably like another eight, ten, twelve thousand a year. Okay, cool. And that just for one year or more years than that? Well, I suppose for, you know, like another five years. So you getting that promotion could be like an extra $60,000 in revenue? Well, yeah, I suppose it could be. I never looked at it like that. Okay. Right. What else is this weight causing challenges around? What, what impact is it having on your relationship and your love life? Right. And I'd go that way. Right. So what am I going to do? I've got very practical with regards to no need to replace wardrobe. I've got future-facing conditional revenue growth through professional career. And then I've got emotional credits towards relationship and sex appeal, those things around as well, right? So, so I might be then building out a case that has them seeing that this is worth it, right? And I'm not going to label it as such, but we just created a $30,000 problem. Mm-hmm. Right. To say, well, for just $1,800 over the next 12 weeks, I feel confident that what we can do is we can achieve those outcomes together. You think it's worth us doing that work? But no, I'd put the emphasis on, do you think it's worth us doing that work? Not, is it worth 1800 bucks? Right. And I, this is what most coaches get themselves hung up about is they're so fearful of sounding salesy. They sound salesy. Yeah. Right? They make it about the money. They hide behind it. They hesitate around it. Yeah. The money isn't the thing that's standing in the way. Their belief in your ability to truly deliver towards the promise is, is what's coming up with it. And isn't it sometimes the belief in their ability to show up and do the work? Yeah, it's, it's both those things. Right. Because you have to take responsibility for that as a coach. Mm-hmm. Is to gain their commitment, not like that. That's my point is they think the commitment is the money. Mm-hmm. The commitment is the work. Right. The money is just the thing that gets you a ticket. Right. Like a gym membership doesn't get you fit and healthy. Right. A gym membership gives you access to equipment. Right. You have to show up and use it. Mm-hmm. And you have to have the discipline to be able to do so. And I, this is where you then start to bring your clothes towards is, is so, you know, if we're going to move forward and do this work, here's the, here's the commitment I need from you. And I'd gain five, six, seven, eight, nine other big commitments from them as well as the investment. And I'd get those commitments ahead of time. So the commitments I need from you is, firstly, can you be prepared to commit the time in your schedule at the same time, week in, week out, for the next 12 weeks? In each of those sessions, are you prepared to be open, to be vulnerable, tell me the truth and nothing but the truth? Yeah, yes, I am. Now, the sessions are only part of the work. Are you prepared to do the work between the work in order to be able to actually make progress between each one of those sessions, knowing that I'm going to hold you accountable and give you a hard time if you don't? Yes, I am. Boom, boom, right? And then what I might do is jump towards the end. So if... What we managed to do is to achieve weight loss of at least 10 pounds over the next 12-week period of time. What's that going to mean to you in your life? Get them to be able to tell it back. And how are you going to reward yourself? What are you going to do to celebrate? Now I get them seeing themselves in the future. And does all of that sound like it's worth at least $1,800 of personal financial investment in order to be able to achieve those results together? Yes. But I'm putting the money investment at the back of all the other personal investments in order to be able to get them to agree to it. Right. I think that's really important. I stress that a lot on discovery calls. Like you've got to make sure that you ask the right questions so you know if they're going to do the work. The last Mm -hmm. thing you want to do is attract somebody that's willing to pay the money but not willing to show up and do the work because that ends poorly for both sides. Correct. Yeah. So one thing about money, I like that you talk about this. The exact example is, is $15,000 a lot of money? Yes. And then you go on to say how people project their own buying habits into these conversations and these situations. Right. What does that mean? We have a personal bias around judging something as expensive. Yes or no. Mm -hmm. A simple example that I could even ask if people are following this in the group right now is like, is a Rolls Royce expensive? Like, yes or no Rolls Royce is expensive. 
and you get the general consensus of, yes, a Rolls-Royce is expensive, but not compared to a Bugatti Veyron, it's not. And I think this is what people miss. Mm -hmm. Any sum of money is only expensive when compared to something else. If you do not know what you're being compared to, you have no right to judge something as being cheap or expensive. You're always compared to what? Sometimes you're compared to the sum of money in someone's bank account. I think that quite often is going to come up for many of the people in your community is that, okay, you want $1,800. I haven't got $1,800 to spare right now. I'm not saying I don't believe you're worth it. I'm not saying I don't believe that it's worth it. Mm -hmm. I just don't have access to that sum of money right now. Right. Now, if that was true, and I found out that was the truth, I would say, so you're saying that if you had access to that sum of money, that you'd feel like this was a program that was worthwhile, they say yes. You say, well, would it help if I could spread those payments over a period of time? They say yes. Mm-hmm. So helping find a solution for them to still be able to move forward. Yeah. So would, you know, how does 650 a month sound for the next three months? Yeah, that works. Okay, great. And now, like, we're, we're, we're straight into being able to find a way of being able to move it forward that way around. But sometimes your comparison could be to somebody else's program. Take the weight loss scenario. Sometimes your comparison could be to somebody's $69 app. Right. Yeah. A lot of different ranges of what it could be compared to, which is right. all more important why you show the value. Right. But, but value is also sometimes recreated through the exceptions. So let's just say, for example, that you have a coaching-based wellness program that is going to help somebody with weight loss. And they're like, yeah, but I could just go on this program that is through ABC company where I take these supplements and these shakes and boom, 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 boom. And, and they're saying they can get me the same kind of results. And, and that's going to be about $300 over that same time period. Okay. So have you ever tried anything like that in the past? Yeah, yeah, I've done a, a load of those kind of things. So over the last five, six years, how many times have you gone through one of these type programs? You know, is it twice, three times, five times more? You know, maybe seven or eight times I've gone through one of these programs. Okay. And how many of them have created the lasting change you were looking for? Oh, none. Okay, so what gives you the belief to expect that this one's going to do any different for you? Well, my friend said, boom, 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 boom. Okay, and how's your friend being incentivized for that opinion? What do you think makes more sense when it comes down to you sustaining weight loss? Is changing habits and behaviors and rewiring your brain over a period of time to help you understand how your body and beliefs can act and respond differently to all scenarios? Or taking a short-term band-aid of eating a diet of reduced calories and and random supplements that creates a short-term weight loss which of those two options do you think is going to suit you best can you also see that if over the last five six seven years that you've tried multiple attempts at using supplements and products to create weight loss with each one of those costing three to five hundred dollars a time that you've already spent significantly more than eighteen hundred dollars in trying to fix this problem and failed Mm -hmm. wow so that's all you're good at this. <laughs> it's like you've been doing it since you were 14. Well, arguably the best in the world. So, um, and it's through Wretch. Work with over 800 different industries, over 2 million different people. I face more scenarios in a year than people face in a lifetime. Wow. So the reps are laid to lean on principles. Because you put yourself in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The empathy of seeing it through that scenario. But also, what am I looking to do? I'm looking to scale a problem. I'm looking to find the realistic truth in any given environment. Then I'm creating compared to what's. So which option do you think is going to suit you best? Which option is going to work easier for you? It reminds me of the, um, in, in exactly what to say, you say we have three options. Right. And I love that one. I don't remember which chapter it is, but it, it's one of my favorites. You could use that same situation here. So the way I see it, you have three options. One is you could do nothing make no decision continue to be in the same hope scenario and just hope and pray that things work out better for you. Secondly, you could look for a band-aid solution to take some form of reduced calorie diet over a period of time, sustaining then, you know, replacing all the things that you enjoy with some of the sucks. Or thirdly, we could do the real work over a sustained period of time is helping to look into the habits and behaviors across the board that are causing you to uh, be able to achieve this, uh, this body that you don't feel comfortable in mm-hmm. and we can help you set up a series of new habits and behaviors that mean that you finally get in control of your weight once and for all and get to continue to be able to live the life that you you currently enjoy so which option is going to work best for you and that what am i doing is one option is clearly not an option the second option sucks and the third option is you 
Right. The way you position it is perfect. Mm -hmm. Their only choice is you. Right. Unless, Unless they're, they're an idiot. And some people are idiots. Yeah. Unless they're choosing to stay stuck. <laughs> some people are idiots. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so could you tell us a quick story? Because I loved when you told me the story about how this book came to be, because it wasn't a book at the start. Okay. How was that? Um, so I've been in the training and development space now for what are we looking at? Yeah, well over a decade. And a huge part of my work is helping to train sales skills to non-salespeople. And I remember being in a mastermind group with some of my other speaker friends in, say, where would we have been? Maybe 2009, 2010. And they threw down the challenge of looking to try and get a book published. And I said, look, it's not that hard. If you just want to get a book out into the marketplace, you could probably turn it around in like seven to 10 days. They thought I was stupid. And I said, well, I'll prove it to you. And what had happened is the week prior, I delivered a training to a group of customer service assistants, helping them have more effective and persuasive language when steering people out of complaint scenarios. And I wrote a two-page PDF that was 17 sequences of words to allow you to persuade an influence without sounding pushy or something like that, right, was the title. And what I decided to do was to repurpose that PDF into a book and turn it around in seven days and created a book called Magic Words. We published that in 2010, downloaded 120,000 copies, something like that, and it, it did okay, but I, I turned it around rough and quick and, and, and it wasn't my proudest piece of work. It was done with a completely different purpose to it. Yet people really liked it. And I've trained Magic Words for you know, a ton of times it's been a ebook giveaway on sites. It's been turned into a CD to be an industrial strength business card. It was, you know, sold at the back of the room in speeches. It was bundled into speeches. It was all sorts of other things was what that book was. And then 2015, 16, when I went through my geographic move from the UK to the US, I wanted to re-release a book and I was going to write something new. And then my wisdom kind of kicked in that said, you know, often your best ideas are your best ideas. Um, and working on refinement as opposed to reinvention is often a better thing you can do. So I thought what I'd do is I'd rewrite magic words. And I worked with my publisher to be able to reproduce magic words, was about to click go on sending it to print. And I stumbled across another book by a guy called Tim David in the US that was published under the title Magic Words. And because my footprint was largely UK and Europe is my book, Magic Words, hadn't really featured in the US anywhere. Mm -hmm. So Tim David, in my mind, owned the term Magic Words in the book capacity. And I wasn't going to go toe to toe and be like, I was here first. You stole my idea because he didn't. He had his idea that was the same idea as mine. And it was a completely different context. And I was like, hey, good for you. I thought I need to retitle the book. I delivered a seminar a couple of times under the title, exactly what to say. Um, so I just decided to pivot the name of the book like seven days before it in print to exactly what to say. Um, and then, yeah, and then launched that from there. And I, and I think that the, the new title is, is a significant factor in it being, being as successful as it has been. Like there was a beautiful, a beautiful tragedy that resulted in something working out better because of it. Yeah. Isn't that how things turn out a lot though? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and this book now, so this was the first one, exactly what to say. And then you yep. did exactly where to start and exactly how to sell. Exactly how to sell came after that. And that was a New York publisher that came to me trying to buy the rights from exactly what to say, which I refused to sell. And then instead agreed a deal for a two book deal for two follow on books to be turned around in the next nine months, which is how to sell and where to start. And exactly how to sell ironically is an evolution of my first book, which is a book called toolbox. Mm -hmm. So exactly how to sell is, is a 2.0 on toolbox and exactly where to start is the book version of a 12 week coaching program that I've delivered a number of times in the past. Got it. So all of it's repurposed in a very creative, resourceful way. Yeah. And for me, a book should be produced for one of two reasons. It's either a, a big idea that is a new big idea that you want to get out into the world, like a big idea thinking book, or it is a distillation of a masterclass that you've earned the right to be able to distill because you've lived it for long enough. Right. 
And I think too many people write an opinion book that isn't either a big idea, nor is it a tried, tested, improved methodology that has been worked through over a period of time that is distilled into a into an action-focused form. It's like somewhere in the middle of those two things, which is, yeah, a book that serves the author more than most. Yeah. Um, and this book now has been, like, this has been turned into a lot of different versions, correct? Yeah, we're, we're probably approaching maybe 70 different versions of that book. 29 different languages, recustomized for different industries. I know you're on video right now. I've got a little pile of them here that I just moved into this room a second ago. But look, look, this is fun. Just a little pile of some of them. Those are all different versions of exactly what to say. How cool is that? Like for different industries, is that that what they are? Mostly different industries, different languages? Yeah, industries and languages. So we've got 29 different languages. And I've probably done 35, 40 different either industry or, or custom branded editions. So I've done editions for big brands like Volkswagen and Citizens Bank and then smaller boutique brands that have then used them for um, just giveaways within their team, their organization. And um, we've done some for big associations as well. So like a big mortgage association, professional photographers association, and written all through the lens of how to help photographers or how to help mortgage brokers or right. where the examples will change. Yeah. I know I've shown this to you before, but I have to show it again. I, I've told everybody in this group, and a lot of my clients have gotten this. I gave it away as a bonus for a while um, for anybody who signed up for me because it is so, so, so amazingly good. I've read it and reread it and reread it. I've written notes about it. Like these are the notes that I took from the very first time I ever read it. Like I really just want you to know how much it has changed me and who I am as a salesperson. And I'm excited for somebody else to get that same opportunity. So thank you. Yes. Thank you. It's been absolutely just such an exciting shift, I guess, in my sales career and and who I am as a salesperson. And I really just appreciate that you took the time to put those words together in a book that I could find. (laughs) I actually found it on Audible. So I listened to it first. And then once I listened to it, I was like, I need the actual version of this so I can take my notes and do all my stuff in it. So it happens a lot. People like to listen to it for kind of rinse and repeat and to try and get it into subconscious and then, and then use the book more like a, like a reference manual to go back to. Right. Right. Like a, like an actual um, textbook. Yep. I use it. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for being here with us today. I really appreciate your time and your wealth of knowledge and all of your experience throughout your whole life. It, It means so much that you're willing to share it with the world. And I'm glad that I was one of the people that got to benefit from it and will continue to do so. What's next for you? Uh, What's next for me is probably big focus towards non-professional areas of life. So I'm, I'm planning a significant sabbatical and going to consciously reduce my profile. Wow. Yeah. So I'm I'm, good or just for a period of time for this season. Maybe for a period of time, maybe for good. Who knows? I mean, I can cross all those bridges when I get to them. But certainly for the immediate future, it's um, do less, be seen less, give more to other areas of life, be a more conscious husband, father, brother, son, good to self type person. And then um, I'm in the very fortunate position that career-wise, I don't have many if any career aspirations left Mm -hmm. and we've reached a position of financial stability that I'm very content with Mm -hmm. so it would be nice to be true to my value system and go okay yeah you know more isn't always the answer sometimes a good answer is is less and, and a redirection so that's that's where my current focus is so slowing down this back end of the year I'm building our dream house in the UK. So I'm excited about little things like choosing cabinet fixtures and, and floor coverings and deciding what I'm going to be doing with my garden space and building my outdoor kitchen and all those kind of things. So that, that's, that's my line of focus at this moment in time. That's awesome. The new excitement of life. There you go. And you've earned the right to get there. That's the plan. That's the plan. So yeah, that's where I'm pointing. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I hope in some capacity you will still share with the world who you are and what you do. And um, I'm sure this is not the last that that we will hear of Phil Jones. I'm no. sure. And I put enough out in the world that if people just caught up with what I put out in the world, then um, that would be a good place to start too, right? 
true. There's quite a quite a bit of very good, amazing work out there that you've produced. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, I'm happy for people to people to catch up, um, and then I'll see what I do into the future onwards from there. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, thank you for your time and being here with us. I really appreciate it. I know there were a ton of people super excited to be here. I know one of them was my friend Missy, and she wanted me to make sure that I told you she loved the group that we were in. Um, let me see where she wrote her comment. She said. Um, the group that you made, what did you call it? Exactly where to start? Yeah. It was right at the beginning of um, of COVID, I think. 12 weeks of COVID, did a free group to be able to help people. Yep. Watch idea. yep. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Missy was all about that. So she wanted me to make sure that I told you thank you from her because she really thoroughly enjoyed that group. So Pleasure indeed. Awesome. So, well, thank you again, everybody. Thank you so much for being here for it. I hope you enjoyed it. Share your thoughts. Thoughts grow stronger when shared. Um, leave your favorite takeaways. Phil, again, this was so amazing. Thank you so, so much for being here. I really appreciate it. My absolute pleasure, Nicole. Thank you for having me. Bye, everybody. All right, that is a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And by the way, if you like this, subscribe because there's more good stuff coming your way. Also, please leave a review. It would mean so, so much to me and it would help others who are considering listening to this podcast to understand how amazing it is. And while you're at it, why not share with a friend? And by the way, one last thing, I would love to hear from you. I would love to connect with you. So you got a couple options. You can check me out on Instagram at Healthy Steps with Nicole. You can find me in my private Facebook group, Nicole Sales Superstars, or you can go to my website, healthystepswithnicole.com. I would love to hear from you and I can't wait.